Thank you, as always, for listening to Caleb vs. Self. On this episode, I get a chance to speak with Alex of Alex Red Fishing. We talk about how he got into fishing, the importance of public waters and conservation, as well as the business side of content creation. You can find Alex on Alex Red Fishing through YouTube and Instagram. Please check him out for some of the best bass fishing content on the internet. I hope you enjoy this conversation that I had with Alex. It's one of the best ones that I've had so far. And once again, thank you so much to Alex Red. Sweet. So, Alex, thank you again so much for hopping on. I'm just going to dive straight into it. And obviously, everybody wants to, when they first talk to somebody, well, how'd you start fishing? Is it just this, your standard story, right? You, you kind of grew up with it, your, your dad, your granddad, something of that effect? Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty standard, man. You know, my, my memory of fishing is, like, so deep into the, like, the catalog that I don't even remember not fishing. Um, so like one of my first memories ever was standing on the bank with my dad and and bass fishing, right? So my entire life, I mean, has revolved around catching little green and brown fish that we call bass. Like, like everything I've ever done is around bass fishing. So yeah, my dad got me into fishing, man. Um, my dad was a big tournament angler, um, back when I was a kid. And I mean, that's kind of what he did. And, you know, he would take me fishing. I mean, we go fishing all the time. And, you know, boat fishing, bank fishing, I mean, whatever it was, we would go do it. You know, bluegill fishing and bass fishing. I mean, anything about this, but we went and did. But he was more specifically like a, you know, a tournament bass angler. And so kind of my love for the, for the, you know, like you said before we got on here, like that deep dive into bass fishing specifically came from my dad. And like wanting to know every little nuance and detail of this one specific fish that we're trying to catch. Um but yeah, man, I don't remember ever not fishing. Really, I don't. Like, I it's that's all I've ever done. I've never had another hobby, another passion, nothing. Like, <laughs> it is bass fishing, and that's it. Like, I hunt a little bit, sure, um, just because you know it's it's outdoors. I love being outdoors. Um, but what's funny is I'll never forget this. I found some. We were actually fishing one day. Found some deer on an island, this public island. And so I forget all the regulations figured out about the island and all that. Go up there, and it wasn't even deer hunting. It was more like deer murder. That's what I tell everybody. And so, you know, one comes walking up. I smoke it with a with a muzzle loader. I'm reloading, and I hear this fish blow up behind me. And I turn around, and I see this guy fishing a topwater spook. And I see this big, like, four-pound smallmouth just blow up on the spook. And it was at that moment I thought, what am I doing in this tree stand? Because I want to be out there throwing a spook. And it was like, okay, I'll hunt. I'll hunt when, if like, if I'm in a very specific situation, but otherwise I'm going to be on the water and I'm going to be catching bass. So nice. Well, you do it from everywhere. I mean, you have your standard boat. You obviously do kayak tournaments. You've obviously shore fishing. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. no, you have no specific, as long as you're at the water in some way, somehow, and you're fishing, you're, you seem to be happy, cool as a cucumber doing your thing absolutely man yeah i love it i mean any way that i can fish i love to go fishing like i don't care what it is i'll catch anything too i mean i love bass but like if the striper eating i'll catch a striper if the trout's eating i'll catch a trout i mean like i remember one time this is is funny um me and my dad were is me dad mom we were on some resort in florida and they had a tilapia fishing competition 
Well, I can promise you, me and my dad's entire week was centered around winning the tilapia fishing competition. Okay. <laughs> so we like we were like buying the fish food that they feed the fish with and like softening it, softening it in cups of water so we could run it on the hooks and catch the tilapia. And let me tell you something. We ended up winning the tilapia competition. And what we won was like free mini golf or something like that. But damn it, we won. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. That's hilarious. What for you, I mean, other than obviously it being a part of your life since you can remember, is there something you feel like maybe not just you, but even Americans culturally, how, what is it that connects us to fishing so, uh, so deep within it seems like, especially for so many people? Yeah. You know, I think, man, especially in America, right? Like USA, United States of America, we have a model of conservation. And we talked about this earlier conservation before we hopped on here. The model, the North American model of conservation is a beautiful thing because it promotes the ability for every single American to get out into the public lands and public waters and to do whatever they want to do on that public land, public water within the regulations of where they live. Right. So I think that's the biggest thing. I think, I think that just our ability to go out and do that is huge. I also think, man, that like fishing, like you go back to like, you know, the, the primeval, like, you know, lizard part of our brain. Right. I mean, like fishing was a, was a method of survival, like fishing, how we fish now, man, especially bass fishermen, like very specific. And I tell people all the time, like bass fishing is a niche of a niche of a niche and like tournament bass fishing, even more of a niche because 99% of the world still when they go fishing they're fishing to eat they're fishing to provide for their family right and so i think a lot of people man they just have this ingrained like sense of like i have to do this to survive but then i think there's a whole nother facet of it and especially for me something you know i love to catch fish for food you know i you know i'm all about providing for myself but really what draws me and what draws a lot of people is like that mystery like that adventure sense of it, right? Like I got, I have an aluminum boat. Most people who are bass anglers like me, they got big fiberglass boats, right? Mm -hmm. These big fiberglass boats, really, really nice boats. You can do anything in them except for going like really stupid shallow water. Well, I got my aluminum boat because I'm a stupid shallow water fisherman. Like I love (laughs) to be shallow. I love to catch fish shallow. And like, dude, I've taken that boat and like pushed it back up into creeks and pushed it in canals and got out and literally physically pushed the boat over stuff and like gone and done and and gone places that no one else goes. And like in my videos, you'll hear me say sometimes like I'm going somewhere no one else can go or not willing to go. Mm. And like, dude, just that sense of knowing that like I've seen something that maybe like two or three other people have ever seen. It's like, it's awesome. You know what I mean? There's something about like watching an eagle literally catch a fish out of the water or watching deer just do their thing on the bank or watching fish, you know, when they're spawning and stuff, do crazy thing. I mean, dude, I've seen stuff that I'll probably never, I'll see it once. I'll never see it again the rest of my life. And it's all because of fish. And it's just freaking, it's awesome, dude. So, so that sense of adventure, that sense of freedom is a big part of obviously the fishing culture is there yes. something more specific that happens in the brain when you see that thing <laughs> hit top water, hit that lure, that splash happens, and you instinctively yeah. pull back to set that hook? What What is it about that that Bro, really drives the, the brain crazy, I feel like? Man, let me tell you something. I don't know about everybody, 
but like I am like a squirrel on crack. Okay, <laughs> like that. I've never done drugs, but I would believe doing drugs is what a bass eating a frog is like. Okay, like I get so jacked up, like so jacked up. I got a video coming out soon, and I'm in Michigan with my buddy Ben. I was up there a couple weeks ago. And I literally, the first frogfish that I catch, like my my chest tightens up. Like it is like, I can't breathe. Like I love it, dude. I mean, some people get buck fever, you know, and they they love killing big buck. Some people like jumping motorcycles off of stuff. And they, when they're midair, dude, that's where they get that high. Like, you know, some people like driving fast. I mean, whatever it is you like to do. But like for me, man, there's nothing like that. Like, whether it's a topwater blow up, whether it's a fish eating a jig, whatever it is, man, like that first fish catch of the day, almost every single time, it's like I get this feeling like tightness in my chest. And it's like my heart is like, it's like my heart's trying to like escape from my chest, dude. I just freaking love it. Like I can't, I really wish I could put it into words what it feels like, but like it's just this, it's ingrained in me, dude. Like, yeah. I mean, it's just, I, that first bite of the day, when that when that little switch gets flipped, it's on like Donkey Kong, and it's just <laughs> it's go 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 go. So I love but it, man. I heard you on a podcast at one point talking about when you get in the water and you start doing your thing, you will even forget to eat or drink. And at the end of a fishing trip, you're like, I feel terrible. What happened? Mm-hmm. Oh, wait a minute, I didn't consume anything to survive. Exactly, man. Yeah, I've uh, I've done that a lot. Um, <laughs> There was one day, uh, me and my buddy Ben fished for 13 and a half hours and never drank a thing. And like, all we had had was like a chicken biscuit and a Diet Coke in the morning. Like, and that was it. (laughs) And like, dude, we just get in, I mean, like I get in the zone and like, I just, I'm so concerned with catching the next fish and so concerned with picking the part, the puzzle or putting the puzzle together or whatever, however you want to put it, man. I mean, I just get so one track minded on doing what I love to do that. I forget like food's not even a priority, but like now I'm better about it. Like I do literally, like I've got it in my mind now. I'm like, okay, Alex, you have to sit down and drink. Like I have this Yeti bottle and I like stick it in like a purposeful place that I can see it. So I'm like, okay, water okay we can keep going now right right but yeah dude i've done it before 13 14 hours not eat or drink a thing and i mean you get off the water and you're sitting there like what is wrong with me it's like well you've not consumed anything to drink like (laughs) you've got to the point where you're not even sweating anymore like you gotta eat and drink something man that's Uh, and that's something that really pops out in your videos and even in your podcast as well that just that passion and as soon as you get going on a topic and you're just it just comes right out. And it's yeah. what, what is fascinating to me is how articulate you are without being ridiculous. And what I guess what I mean by that is there's so many different technical things as far as fishing is concerned, but the way you explain that process is in layman's terms that makes sense. And it feels much more accessible to somebody like myself who, you know, I can't tell you a crankbait from a whatever the hell, you know, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I have no idea. But yeah. when I watch your videos, you fe- it feels like you break it down in a way that is much more palatable to somebody like myself who's, I mean, I wouldn't even consider myself a novice. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that, man. I, I think a lot of that kind of stems from, I mean, I hate, I always hate to say things like this, but it's, it's, there's no other way to put it. It's just, I, I've done it for so long that I have such a, like, it's so natural to me to know exactly what I want to say 
and talk about when it comes to bass fishing that when you align that with my day job, which my day job is I'm, I'm a teacher, elementary school teacher. Um, when you align those two kind of skills together, it just, I, I know what I, I know what I'm talking about to a point that when I want to convey it, that that little teacher switch flips and it's like, this is exactly what I'm trying to tell you. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I take a lot of pride in that. And I appreciate you saying that because that's one thing that I always try to accomplish, whether it just be a fun fishing video where I'm out and I'm just kind of dropping hints and tips as I go, mm-hmm. or it's like a sit down breakdown of a technique. Like I want to give you as much technical information in the simplest form possible that you at the end of whatever it is go, well, heck, I've got four things or three things or even one thing that I can take to the water with me next time and apply. And that's mm-hmm. all I want. I mean, I just want people to have fun, man. And and I was lucky. I had a dad who was extremely passionate and is extremely good at fishing and is still extremely good at fishing. Not everybody has that. You know, my best buddy, right. Ben Nowak, who also has a YouTube channel, you know, he had a mentor. Like he had to go find somebody not related to him to mentor him in bass fishing. Like a lot of people go into bass fishing or go into fishing in general, not knowing anybody that knows how to do it. Mm-hmm. And so YouTube is kind of gave people access to people who know how to do it. And I want to do my best to not be like silly and like make silly content. And there's people who like that. That's cool. They make that kind of content. I love that they make that kind of content. But for me, I want to be hopefully a mentor to somebody to go, Hey, I've got like three things here. I can go apply on the water. And then they message me like three days later and they're like, Hey dude, you know, I applied these three things and I caught some fish. Like that's all I want. So that's, it's, it's awesome. I, I really appreciate you saying that, man. Yeah. I mean the accessibility to any new hobby sport, you know, whatever endeavor you're going to try, right. Having that level of accessibility is so important. And I think what's interesting is there's, there's a cut between people who know how to do this thing and then, people who know how to teach that thing and there's always that silly adage like oh you know people who can't do they supervise or whatever but more importantly the people who can teach that skill set and break it down in such a way that makes it so much more accessible is unique and it's Mm -hmm. extremely important and especially Mm -hmm. in the world of of fishing and in conservation Mm -hmm. unfortunately numbers matter you people have to give a crap about the water, about the fish, about everything that's happening for it to become successful. Otherwise, it just gets left by the wayside, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it just gets ignored, neglected, and now we've lost a beautiful natural resource. Yeah, and uh, dude, that's something. It, it, it worries me to a point, you know, especially culture's different all around the country um, as far as like where you go, different states. I mean, I've been very lucky to be exposed to a lot of different people from a lot of different places. That's one thing that the fishing YouTube and fishing industry has done for me is, you know, I got friends in California. I got friends in New York. I got friends in Florida, Texas. I mean, from everywhere with very different viewpoints. Right. But like, especially here in most of the people I've been exposed to, especially bass fishermen, like, they see this, their their one little goal is to go catch fish and to win a tournament or to go catch fish and do this thing. And not enough people have that broader view of like, you know, what is my individual impact on this? What is our individual or what's our collective impact on this? And like, what can I do to make sure that this thing, this bass fishing thing 
is here for my kids, my grandkids, and my grandkids. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think way too many people care about the ba- they care about their bass that they catch and put in their hand, and not bass as a whole. Like I love the individual bass. I respect the individual bass. I'm not abusive to the individual bass. But if the individual bass dies, I'm fine with that. But if bass as a whole dies, we're screwed. Yeah. Like if yeah. the lake as a whole doesn't survive we're screwed like and so a lot of people see the bass fishing world you know like you say man it's a numbers thing right everybody you got to have numbers a lot of people see the bass fishing world in their little world view and they need to be looking at it as the big world view as the whole you know the the macro not the micro Mm -hmm. and so yeah man it's Interesting. We can we could go off in a rabbit hole on that one. Like you've you've heard me. You've heard me talk yes. about it. Like I get going, man. Like I'm very passionate about that because I mean, I sometimes feel like I'm the only one talking about it. And it's like, why? Like, why do I feel like I'm the only one talking about it? Like if if bass fishing is this important to so many people, then this needs to be a daily conversation that is being had with very important people who make very important decisions for all of us. Mm-hmm. So I've got a theory about that though. Oh, it goes back it. to hunting as well. Mm-hmm. And that is, is I can't give up my spot. If more people start fishing or if more people yeah. start hunting, then there won't be room for me at the, you know, in the public waters, in the public land. But yeah. at the same time, I feel like that's kind of like a, a false narrative because realistically, how many people are genuinely at their favorite spot every single day? There's yeah. no reason why you can't, you know, Goal. Well, I mean, I always say people who have a favorite spot, you're not good enough to go find more spots. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, like, dude, that's the thing. I mean, if you're good, if you're good at it, then you can go find something that looks like that and catch fish, right? I, I, you know, here's the deal, man. The cat's out of the bag on how many people are fishing. COVID, dude, it did it oh. in. Oh yeah. I mean, like hunting, fishing, outdoor. I don't care what it is. If it has to do with the outdoors, everybody's into it, right? So like used to, man, two years ago, you know, I would get off for my summer breaks and I would go to the boat ramps on a Wednesday, not see anybody, literally nobody. Now I literally went to the lake this morning. There was 15 boats and trucks at the boat ramp. And it's because COVID has allowed a bunch of people to do outdoor things that they like to do during the times that's best to do it, which is when nobody else is out there with, you You know what I mean? Right, right. So cats out of the bag on that one. I mean, I, I, and I think like individual spots and all that kind of stuff, that's that's kind of part of the problem. But I think the biggest problem is it's just there's nobody talking about conservation in anything remotely close to a bigger platform. You know right. what I mean? Like, right. you know, you look at some of the biggest fishing YouTubers like the Guggen guys. I've never heard a conservation conversation come out of those guys. I mean, making great content, doing their thing. I got to be appreciative of them because without them, I I mean, my channel wouldn't, it would exist, but it wouldn't be as validated as it is, right? Sure, sure. You look at like the big tournament scenes. Yeah, they have the conservation aspect of it, right? But like, I don't hear any, like, why are they not pushing a narrative of conservation out into the public more? You know what I mean? Why isn't there conversations going on? Why aren't we making moves you know, emailing senators, emailing representatives, doing the things that we need to do. And I think a lot of it is just, it's money driven is the one big thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think number two, man, it's just people are ignorant to it. Like people are ignorant to conservation. They think DNR 
and they think, you know, your natural resource officers and they think enemy. You know what I mean? They think, oh, it's the guy that's going to freaking write me a ticket. Where right. I'm like, heck yeah, I get to talk to this guy for five minutes or 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Ask him some questions. Like fisheries biologist. I can't tell you how many times that I've been with people fishing. They're like, oh man, here comes the here comes the officer. I'm like, no dude, that's the fisheries guy. Like you want to talk to that guy. I was like, that guy knows more about these little fish than anybody. Right. And I think a lot of it is just ignorance. And and when I say ignorance, I mean that w- with all respect. Ignorance is just a lack of knowledge. Like mm-hmm. I'm very ignorant about, I don't know, like tween pageant contest. I don't know anything <laughs> about that. I'm I'm totally ignorant to that. But sure. like, but like, if you're gonna be in bass fishing, and you're gonna participate in the outdoors period, I think you have a due diligence to yourself and to the resource and to everything that you're investing into when you buy that hunter and that fishing license to know every single aspect of what goes on. Mm-hmm. And that's just not happening enough for me. Like that's why this conversation's being had. That's why I have the conversations on my podcast. Why I mention stuff in my videos is because that specific thing is not happening. And I just think a lot of it, man, is just, People are just ignorant to it. They don't they don't understand that that guy with that green jacket driving that truck, you know, he's not your enemy. He's just doing his job to make sure that the thing that you love doesn't disappear. Yeah. So, yeah, that's yeah. man that that permeates, I feel like, across all sorts of different things with the whole, you know, green jacket guy. But going back to, you know, tournament fishing, what I, I heard you. Well, maybe not you, but somebody was talking about specifically on one of the podcasts that you've been on, you've been on a ton of them, but you guys were talking about specifically pulling fish out of deeper water and people not mm-hmm. knowing how to handle those yeah. fish, whether it's put them into, I think it was a, you're talking about a live well and the temperature difference. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. at the end of the tournament, you throw them back in and there's just a bunch of dead fish. Yeah. yeah. What is it or what responsibility do the people have holding the tournament to educate fishermen on how to properly handle fish or do they have a responsibility to do that? You know, that's a tough one, right? Yep. Like, because when you enter a tournament, it's your individual responsibility to understand all the rules and regulations and how how you're going to compete and the things that you can and cannot do. At the end of the day, it's all on you. Yeah. But I think when you're having a two, 300 boat tournament, all right, so you got a 300 boat tournament. Let's, get, let's be conservative and say you got a 200 boat tournament. Each one of those guys gets to keep five fish. Okay, by the end of the tournament, if let's say that they all bring in five fish, that's a lot of fish. And let's say that it's July and that it's a 70% mortality rate. That's a lot of dead fish. Now, Mm -hmm. is it enough dead fish to totally change the biology of a lake? No. But if you do that every single weekend or twice a weekend for an entire three months, then we have a problem. Mm -hmm. And so then I think we move into a realm where yes, a tournament organization needs to put it on themselves to educate people on proper fish management and like how to take care of a fish. Because when you have like a deep water tournament, right? Summer fishing, a lot of fish go out deep for people that don't know that maybe listen to this like, you know, I don't know nothing about bass fishing. So bass typically what'll happen is they'll spawn then they'll move back out into deep water. And when I say deep water, it's kind of a relative term, but anywhere from 25 to 35 feet is normal for a bass to kind of chill out deep in the summer. Now, there's some that still stay shallow. That's what I go after. But there's a lot that go out deep. 
Well, the reason they go out there is because they need oxygen and they need cool water. And that's where the bait goes because the bait also needs cool water and oxygen. So what will happen is you'll catch a fish in 35 foot of water. You bring it up out of 35 foot of water and you put it into your live well. Well, a couple things happen very quickly. The bass has a swim bladder and that swim bladder, he lets in gas and lets out gas to help him stabilize or stabilize herself under the water. Also helps her to go up and down within the water column. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you bring that fish out of the deep water, her swim bladder expands because the pressure of the water that was pressing down on her body no longer is there. And so the swim bladder expands, making a roll up on her top. and also starts push, pushing on a lot of vital organs and things like that. It just puts a lot of stress, unneeded stress on the bass. Another thing that happens is you bring that fish out of what is probably 70, 60 to 70 degree water up into surface temperatures that are 80 and 90 and then put them in a live well that's 80 or 90 degrees. So you got to imagine, dude, like we're chilling in 60 degrees and all of a sudden somebody hits a switch and it's 110 outside. Like we're going to be like, what the hell just happened? Yeah. And so it puts just an extreme amount of stress on that fish. Well, then you stick them in a live well, right, where the nitrogen and the oxygen levels, if not regulated correctly and not vented correctly, are all out of whack. So not only, again, imagine us, did we get jerked out of our home, we got jerked into a place that doesn't have enough O2, like we're literally like sucking wind trying to breathe. It's 110 degrees outside, and now you're starting to introduce chemicals into our body that can kill us. Okay, People have to understand that. <laughs> and yeah. Like yeah. they don't, man. So many people just jerk fish out of out of deep water, stick them in a live well, and man, if they turn up on their belly, so what? Just as long as they get their five to the weigh-in station and they get their check. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people care about it. I think there's more people care about it, probably more than than I like to let on, I guess. <laughs> But like all at the same time, man, there was, you know, kills on Kentucky Lake years ago that I seen pictures, man, 150, 250, 350 fish floating belly up after a tournament. And that's just not the model that I want a bunch of kids to be looking at going, I want to be a tournament angler and I want to do that to fish. You know what I mean? Again, Mm -hmm. I don't care as much about the individual fish, but when you got 350 of them laying out in a bay somewhere, that's when we've stepped past the individual fish and we've stepped into fish, right? So that's kind of the problem behind that, man. Um, And so, yes, to go back to the original question, I believe at that point that it is a tournament organization's job to educate people on how to properly manage and care for fish as well as I believe it's their job to give something back to the resource. And this is a conversation I had. It's kind of my unpopular fishing opinion. It's one of my favorite ones you've done so far. (laughs) I appreciate (laughs) it. Is that is like, I don't want to tax. I hate tax. I hate the word taxes. Taxes suck. Taxes are theft in my opinion. But anyway, we're not going to get into that. Um, (laughs) I I would love to see something that if you're going to use a public resource and you're going to take from that public resource and you're going to use a public ramp that, man, you're doing something to give back. Like whether it's $5 of every tournament entry fee goes back into conservation or something, right? Because conservation is an interesting thing. Unlike every other tax mm-hmm. that that is put upon us, I can almost guarantee you that if you asked for where did my 
conservation dollars go, I can tell you exactly where it went, what it was used for, and how it was used. Yeah. One of the, the very few government systems that work that way. Oh, dude, and it's beautiful. It's yeah. beautiful. And a mm-hmm. lot of people don't know that. Like, I had so many people on that specific podcast just ripping me in the comments. Like, man, you know, you can't trust the government. You can't trust the duh, duh, you'll never know. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's the beauty about conservation. Rob, Robert Pittman Act, the, you know, Fish and Conservation Act, it literally takes an excise tax off of things that we buy that have to do with ammunition, hunting equipment, fishing equipment. It's put into a federal fund that is directly divvied out to the states based on how much was sold in each state. And then each state is a, has to be like extremely, extremely specifically accountable for every dollar that they spend to make sure that it all goes back into conservation. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to be having three and four and 500 buck tournaments on these lakes, or we're having five, 200 buck tournaments in a week on these lakes, dude, I truly believe all of us as anglers can set up some kind of conservation fund to make sure that our boat ramps are paved. You know how many boat ramps around me are not paved? You literally throw a freaking coat of concrete on it. Boat ramps have good facilities to use. Boat ramps are safe. You're not going to get your crap broken into. Mm-hmm. There's fish going back into the lake that have been taken out of the lake. I mean, dude, I would love to see just a a program that every time you have a a 100 or more boat tournament that a every angler gets a bag full of baby fry fish to dump them back into the lake. That's a unique idea. Texas does it all the time. Bro. Do they? Tex- Texas, man, let me tell you something. Texas has got it dicked on conservation, okay? No other <laughs> way to say it other than they got it dicked. All right, like they, if you look at Texas's conservation model around bass fishing specifically, really hunting, fishing, and everything, dude, they are like the top pinnacle of what you want it to look like, right? And like every state should follow suit with Texas. And like, but yeah, man, like I would just love to see that. Like this little thing, it's not huge steps, man. It's baby steps. Yeah. If we just take two baby steps in the right direction, one of my favorite things, I say this all the time, anything that nets us more than zero is worth our time. So if netting us more than zero is a $5 excise tax on every single tournament that we have or every single tournament angler that is at a tournament to get us something in return for all that they're taking away. Let's do it. Would do you think it would be more beneficial to just go to the tournament uh, tournament directors as opposed to the anglers themselves and say, "Hey, listen, for every angler you have registered and fishing in this tournament, we're going to charge you the five dollars, and you can just pass it off as the, you know, it, it's still coming from the anglers at mm-hmm, the end of the day. Mm-hmm. It's still coming from the tournament directors, but it's not as direct. And I feel like if you did it in that manner, you would have less people." you know, screaming at you about how you can't trust the government or, or yeah, any of that yeah. other stuff. Right. It's just, yeah. this is my fee. It's a flat fee to get into this tournament, but right. That money yeah. is still going into the fund in order to do the things that are necessary to keep these natural resources as beautiful as they are. I think he, I locked the, the train of thought there. It goes back to people are ignorant. I don't yeah, want people to true. be ignorant. I want people to know like, Hey, this is a, this is a 200, like, you know, there's $200 entry fees, $1,500 entry fees, right? I mean, like, all the time. I mean, I may go fish a tournament in a kayak tournament. It's going to be a $200 entry fee. If they said it's $205, five of those dollars going to, um, it's going to be in Alabama. $5 goes to Alabama, you know, fish and wildlife. 
specifically for Pickwick Lake, which is where the tournament will be. I'd be like, do it. And I want to know. Like, I think people should be, should know. You know what I mean? When they, like, they should know where their money's going. And it's like when we do our kayak tournaments, what I love is like, they're like, you know, it's 35 bucks, you know, 30 of it goes into the pot, five of it's big fish, whatever. And we have like this, like this itemized breakdown of what we're spending our money on. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So I I would love, I I like that. I like the thought of just going to the tournament directors and that would be the way we would have to do it. Right. I mean, like if you were really going to do it, it would just be like whoever's organizing the tournament has to contact local government or local, you know, DNR or whoever it is and be like, Hey, we want to have a, you know, we're going to estimate it. We're going to cap it at 115 boats. We'll let mm-hmm. you know the specific number on the day. And like they go, okay, awesome. $5. Just make sure you collect your $5 fee for everything. And then you can write us a check or whatever that looks like. Yep. Or even if it's like a stamp system, you know, like federal duck stamps. Yep. yep. You know, if you want a duck hunt, you get a federal duck stamp. You're good to go. Like if every angler at the beginning of the year just said, hey, I think I'm going to fish some tournaments this year. Oh, you need your $5 state tournament fishing stamp. There you go. Five bucks at the beginning of the year covers your whole year. I mean, whatever that looks like, you know, something simple, baby steps. It doesn't have to be a lot of money, but if 150,000 people give $5, that's a lot of freaking money, bro. And like, that's a lot of money that can go back into conservation. That's all I want is conservation. I want somebody and if it's me let it be me i'm trying to lead the just the voice have a voice of conservation within the tournament bass fishing and bass fishing realm and because you know a lot of other fishing man is just not enough people in it to really affect it whereas bass fishing being as niche as it is is still a massive 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 part of the fishing industry you know what i mean so I mean, otherwise it wouldn't be on ESPN watching Bassmaster Classic or any, you know what I mean? Exactly, like it dude. absolutely exactly. is the biggest, even though it's a niche, like you said, yeah. it's the biggest one I would argue. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, next to saltwater, dude, like we're actually, what's funny just to, just to mention this. Yeah. Catfishing, bass fishing, catfishing is bigger than bass fishing. No way. Yes. As far as like items sold for a specific kind of fishing. And like you look at the industry, like I work with Abu Garcia, pure mm-hmm. fishing. They sell more catfishing stuff than they do bass fishing stuff. Now it's not by much, but they sell more catfishing stuff. Really? Yeah, dude. It's wild, man. A lot of people catfish. It's just there's no competition around it. So there's no public like, you know, hurrah about it. <laughs> right, right. And yeah. I mean, as far as catfish are concerned, I'm not, obviously I'm not an expert, but they're yeah. a much more versatile fish. Like, Taking oh, yeah. a ton of catfish out of a out of a lake, it, it won't do a whole lot to, no, to the yeah. species itself. It's not going anywhere. Whereas no, bass, yeah. right? They they yeah. can be a little bit more fickle with water temperature or changing yeah. situation. I mean, they need cover. They need yeah. to be able to hunt. They need to. They need a lot more to sustain that species as opposed to catfish. Catfish, I swear to God, they pop up just everywhere. You're like, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know that you could. Even oh, dude, be in salt here. water, fresh and, water. <laughs> Yeah. muddy water i mean it doesn't matter they're everywhere but yeah and i you know and i don't want people who are listening to this that don't know a ton about bass fishing to think like you know this guy's doom and gloom because i'm not here here's the bottom line of it all most almost every biologist i've ever talked to will agree that you could keep a five fish limit out of every single lake every single day for the rest of your life and never even scrape the top of what the population of fish living in that lake are Sure. That being said, 
they will all still agree that a massive amount of fishing pressure, a massive amount of boats, a massive amount of fish kills are will adversely affect what that fishery looks like. Like you can kill a lake. Lake Chickamauga right now is one of the top lakes in the world. It's two hours from me. I went and caught a 10-pounder down there this year. I mean, I caught a 40-pound bag. My best five fish went almost 40 pounds. Incredible fishery. But it's getting harder and harder and harder to catch fish just because of the massive amount of pressure that's being put on that body of water. You yeah. I mean, and I don't want that. I mean, it just, it's discouraging for anglers. Sure. I mean, there's always going to be an ebb and flow to a given species. Mm-hmm. My concern, if I even have a concern, because I'm not as well versed in this, but my thing that I've always seen and I always read about is if you, if you take that heart of a hit out of a specific species, there's mm-hmm. another one ready to come take its place. And that mm-hmm. species of fish can disappear. We've seen it happen. I mean, the Asian carp, uh, whole thing. I mean, that that shit's real. Yeah, that yeah, will bro. destroy waterways and ecosystems for all sorts of other fish. So if you're not careful, and for me, when you talk about conservation, as far as fishing is concerned, that's the biggest battle. I feel like is preserving that ecosystem appropriately so that mm-hmm. other species of fish can't just come and annihilate. And now all of a sudden, you have no more smallmouth or largemouth or you know spotted bass or whatever it is mm-hmm. that you're going after. All you mm-hmm. have are these freaking things flying out of the water and jumping into your boat or hitting you in the face that's mm-hmm. not enjoyable for anybody no, especially it, a sportsman yeah exactly dude. and it's dangerous right it's i mean that's you know it's it's got its inherent dangers around everything not only can they physically hit you but again like you can kill a whole community like you know you when you, you want to talk about numbers man dayton tennessee didn't exist when he existed but it didn't exist until chickamauga lake turned mm-hmm. into what chickamauga lake is and now dayton is one of the richest counties in the state um, but like, you're right, man. And, and one of our biggest threats, obviously the Asian carp, we're kind of starting to get that a handle on that. I think we're really like from everybody I've talked to biologists and everything, like they're really starting to get a handle and an understanding of how to get rid of these things. And they're, and they're starting to make some steps to, to curb that. Right. Mm-hmm. But right now in Tennessee, it's the spotted bass and specifically Coosa river spotted bass, which is an Alabama bass. Man, like, here's the deal. Lake Chickamauga, great example. If something were to just tip that scale the wrong direction, that lake could be a spotted bass lake like that. And there's a lot of people, and people who, if I said their names on here, could probably get them in a lot of trouble, that are taking those Coosa River spotted bass and they're putting them in lakes around here because they're ignorant to the understanding of what it can do to the ecosystem because they just like catching them. Right. And it's like, guys, come on. Like, we have got to be smarter than this. Like, we as as anglers have got to be smarter. But again, man, it's it's ignorance, bro. Like, people are just, they're ignorant. Like, they're, they're the guy in the green jacket's bad. There's nothing that you do that's bad. You know right, what I mean? Like, right. it's just, it goes all back to that. But yeah, man, it's... Uh, it's a fine balance. Like there, there's a lot of people who are a lot smarter than me that work on this every single day to make sure that all this keeps going in the direction it needs to be going, man. The North American model of conservation, again, we wouldn't have elk if it weren't for hunters and biologists. We right. wouldn't have turkeys if it weren't for hunters and biologists. We wouldn't have largemouth bass that get 10 pounds if it wasn't for anglers and biologists. Right. And like you look at the hunting side of things, it's a beautiful like conglomerate and a meshing together of conservation and hunters 
that have brought back whole entire species. Correct. You look at anglers and conservation and biologists, it's still this weird divided like culture of not understanding how it all works. Right. Mm. And, and I don't, that's something we got to have to change. I don't yeah. know how we change it. Maybe I'm doing the right things by having these conversations. That's what I think. Right. Talk about anything enough. You look at Joe Rogan and hell, he just talks about stuff and the whole entire world listens to him. So <laughs> right. I don't got that big of an audience, but I've got an audience. And so if I just keep talking about it, maybe enough people will listen that I can, it's a, what's the, like the thing about Kevin Bacon, like, you know, you can talk to like six people and then the, one of them will know Kevin Bacon or something yeah. like that. I don't know. <laughs> I, that's my plan is to just be like, okay, maybe if I talk to enough people, like six people will eventually talk to Kevin Bacon and then all our problems will be solved. I don't, you know, <laughs> whatever that looks like. I think, I mean, that's, uh, those are all really good points. I think the biggest thing is obviously education is important, yeah. but, creating an environment that is comfortable for people to talk about it is the most important thing. I have to be able to, to be able to say, Hey man, I might've done this or that. That was incorrect. And you have to feel comfortable enough saying, Hey Caleb, let's not do that, bro. Yeah. Right. There's gotta be a comfort level around it. And we, I feel like when it comes to fishing and I, you're right. I don't know why it is, but that comfort level isn't there yet for whatever reason. And maybe yeah. it's just guys just want to have their big trucks and big boats and catch big bass. And that's all they care about. And they'll never care about anything else. But at some point that dam's got to give that that's going to something is going to happen. That's going to force the hand of of anglers that really love that sport. And you're better off trying to do something about it in little steps now than screwing up everything later and really having to. I mean, look at the uh, I don't know, bison, American bison. Mm hmm. Those, there yeah. were millions of those things all across the United States. Now there's what, like a handful? Yeah, totally extirpated. Like yeah. totally gone. You know gone. what I mean? Yeah, I don't. And dude, I don't know what that conversation looks like, right? I, I, I think the biggest problem with bass fishing specifically, we're going to talk bass fishing specifically. And that's sure. what I've kind of been talking about this entire time because cat fishing and trout fishing and all those guys, man, they're their own little world, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there's a weird, there's like, cultural subdivisions within bass fishing you've got your hardcore glitter boat driving tournament anglers you've got your dudes who are like me who are just off here in their own freaking world like i don't even know where i (laughs) I fall in all of that right you've got your kayak tournament anglers you've got your bank anglers and then within your bank anglers you got like dudes who love bass fishing and dudes who love a bunch of different kinds of fishing and then you've got like your aluminum boat guys and like it's like, there's this, I don't know, man. Like I saw a guy at the, at the gas station this morning, like had a boat, like, what's up, bro? How you doing? Good. That's all I got out of him. It's like, yeah. you can't even have a conversation with some people. And like, you show up to boat ramps and people are like, what are you doing here? I'm like, I'm, I'm coming to fish. You're not fishing the tournament. It's like, no. Like, and it's like this weird, man. Like, I don't even know how to. How do you spark a conversation with that? You know what I mean? And it's like, that's the problem I'm having. It's like, and dude, you're so right. Like, you're so right. It's like, you got to make the conversation comfortable. Got to find a good place for us all to talk about it. Mm -hmm. I've still not figured that out. Because, man, look, let me tell you something. These people hate my guts because I make YouTube videos. Because they think I'm ruining bass fishing. But then there's people who love it. 
<laughs> I'm going to go back to the very beginning, Alex, and it yeah. comes with numbers. And I think yeah. with YouTube, because, I mean, I didn't really realize how big of a genre bass fishing is on YouTube and yeah. how geared it is, seriously, towards yeah. a younger audience. You're mm-hmm. like 17, 12 to 17 year olds. Mm-hmm. Those are the kids that I think will be able to have those conversations one day. We'll mm-hmm. be able to do the things that you're trying to do right now. You, you just happen to be on the cutting edge, the tip of the spear, if you will. You know, yeah. I think that this next generation, hopefully, because they're so into it. I mean, you got kids everywhere. I, go, I live in New York. Everywhere mm-hmm. I go, there's always a kid with a fishing pole somewhere now with yeah. his cell phone trying to, you know what I mean? Trying to That's either awesome. make yeah. his own video or he's just out there catching fish or whatever yeah. the case may be. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping for the sport and for the species and for everything that you guys love that that turns or, or that turns into fruition where you have this better community of people who are more apt to share, you know, to, Hey, you know, this is what I figured out about hunting or or, or fishing. I should say for this particular species at this lake or in this Creek and yada, yada, yada. Whereas, you know, the old heads, man, they don't, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. They act like this is their boat ramp, not yours. <laughs> exactly, man. And it's a weird deal, dude. It's such a weird deal. And, you know, and, and like you talk to my dad, my dad is who instilled conservation into me. Mm-hmm. And like he has told me about several conversations that he had like back in the day where people were like, you know, they would say something to the effect of this is my whatever. This is my piece of property here. And dad's like, no, man, this is public land. This is ours. Like, you have just as much right to be here as I do. And like, in hunting, that switch has already been flipped, I feel like, with a lot of people. Like, very advocate of public water, or public land and public water hunting. Where I don't feel like it's been switched with anglers yet. But I believe you're so right in the fact that this new generation could totally change that. Mm-hmm. we just have to do a very good job of making sure they understand like Karen mad at pond angler because he's on private property <laughs> is not the direction we need to be going like that. There's, there's nothing right about that. Well, but, okay, but hold on. There might be something that could come good from that is when you have the whole, you know, Karen series, right? Because yeah. there's an angler that's shore fishing where he's not supposed to be, or she's not yeah. supposed to be. What I'm seeing from these kids is like, yeah, they're being kids, but at the same time, they're also testing the bounds of shore fishing. And let's be honest, shore fishing right now also is a problem in and of itself, right? Where does that private property end when it comes to this creek or this river? Yeah. So there, although I see what you're saying as far as it being like a a little bit of a bad image, at the same time, you have kids that are testing those boundaries Mm -hmm. and for conservation's sake, that might not be a bad thing. No, man, it's beautiful. And, and and that's the thing is like, I would love to, and dude, you just gave me a really good idea. Whew, see, like you got my wheels turning now. <laughs> I would love to just have like, take a video like that and go, okay, let's look at this. Let's tell you what you did right. Let's tell you what you did wrong. Yes. Like you're right in the fact that the water is public. You're wrong in the fact that the ground is not public. Like the ground is not public. The water, yes. You know what I mean? And depending on where you live, like New York, I don't know how it rolls up there, but like down here, man, as long as I'm in the water, every navigable waterway, and by navigable, I mean if you can float in it, as long as you're in the water, you're mm-hmm. on public land. Like right. it's public property. It's the land under the water that's not public. 
which is a fascinating thought process, but it's just the way that the words law or the laws worded, right? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, I don't know, man. It's like such just a, it's a weird deal, right? But I do think that that next generation coming up, I think that if we keep having the conversations, if we keep exposing these kids to this idea of taking care of what we've got, and I'll go ahead and tell you, man, this next generation of kids coming up, there's still going to be tournament anglers and tournament fishing will always exist. Of course. But but there is a big, big majority of them who enjoy fishing just to enjoy it. They enjoy it because they love the outdoors. Mm -hmm. And when, when that is the driving factor behind fishing and not to win something is when you start having more guys who think like me and who think in this conservation mindset. And I think that this next generation of anglers coming up being influenced by social media and being influenced by dudes like me and guys who make content like me, I think we're going to see a dramatic shift in what it means to be a bass fisherman, be an angler, but specifically a bass fisherman. Yeah. And it's going to be very, very, very interesting to see what happens. I mean, dude, this past couple years with COVID and all that, dude, totally Mm -hmm. transformed everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, like there's people who've come to my channel I've never seen before who just got into bass fishing, man. I mean, like, their opportunity here to change the entire view of fishing is now like we're in the good old days of right. Like changing things. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. And like this coming is... on your podcast, bro, like <laughs> dude, like this is like, I, I tell people all the time, like this is, they're like, you know, why did you do that podcast? And I'm like, because I wanted to talk to that guy. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I just want people to hear what I got to say sometimes. You know what I mean? And like, sounds a little self-fulfilling, but it's just like, if I have these conversations out there, it doesn't matter if one person hears it or 20 people or 300,000 people. Mm-hmm. If it's one more person that I can get to just go, huh, that guy kind of made some sense. Then I've done my job. Done. And it goes farther than, I mean, from like the podcast perspective, right? The mm-hmm. people who listen to my podcast are more people who have no idea what they want to do. They just, they're just into hearing about all sorts of different things. Mm-hmm. That person could be just as important as the bass angler when it comes to protecting waterways and conservation. Because at the end of the day, a lot of these things become a checkbox on your ballot. Do Mm -hmm. I want this or do I not want this? And the Mm -hmm. person that might never fish in their whole life, but hear somebody like you be so passionate about it and really paint that picture of how important it is, not just to you, but to the community and to our country, is going to check the box that says, yeah, I would like some more uh, conservation and not no, I want less. And that's just as important. Absolutely, dude. And like, you know, one thing that I don't think a lot of people consider sometimes, we are the only country in the world that has true blue public land and water. Like, Thanks, Theodore Roosevelt. Yes. Like, I'd love to kiss that man on the mouth. Um, like, like, like. Dude, most people, man, they don't have the rights that we do to just walk into the woods and within within reason, do whatever the heck we want to do. You want to go shoot a gun? You go shoot a gun. You want to go kill something? If it's in season, you go kill it. Yep. As long as you got that tag in your pocket, you go do it. Like, and like, man, like, I don't think people realize how like, true, like, you want to be an American? 
vote, own a gun, and go use public lands and waters. I mean, like, those three yeah. things in that order, bro, are, like, the most American freaking things that you can do. Yeah. Like, it really truly is, because, like, that is America. It's like, you own a piece of private property, but you've got thousands of acres of public land that you can go access to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's yours just as much as it's Joe Biden's or whoever else, right? right? Like it's it's yours just as much as it's mine, just as much as it's anybody's. And it's beautiful. Yeah. But the thing is, it's gone just like that if we don't do our part. That's the hard part, right? Because we're at the point now where we're several generations into a luxury that we were just born with. You were born yep. as an American citizen. You are born with access to the most ridiculous and amazing wilderness, uh, public waters, you name it. And Mm -hmm. sometimes when we get into that circle, you just expect it to be there. Mm -hmm. You don't realize when things are being slowly eaten away at that public land, that public water, and how detrimental it is. Not just to the fact that it's yours and it's being ruined, but the fact that it's being taken away for from future generations. And I mean, to me, I don't know, I'm assuming to you that's completely unacceptable and you want public waters and public land because we should all, even if you live in New York city or rural Alabama, you should be able to go to BLM land or a, or a state park or a national park or any Lake river Creek and whatever, and either hunt fish, camp, hike, enjoy what this country has set aside for all of us. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely, dude. And I'll tell you the one thing, Meat Eater, speaking of, we talked about them earlier. One thing that that they just had a really good conversation about was, the title of it was Bitching, I think it was called Bitching About BLM or something like that. Sure. But But it was a girl who was an advocate for all of those things, right? The public use of everything. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is one of our biggest problems we run into is like, Anglers and hunters are the only one that is paying out of their pocket to use it. Because people don't pay, like some, I don't know about other places. I know there's some places you have to like pay to camp. Sure. Right? But like outside of that, if I wanted to put my big wakeboard boat in the water, outside of paying a tax on the boat, which yeah. never as never sees a conservation fund at all Mm -mm. i can go run that boat all up and down that lake and erode the shoreline all i want to yeah or if i want to go hike in a park most of them you don't have to pay it pay a a fee to go hike in a park but you still use that land you know what i mean and so i think the biggest problem that we face is kind of circumventing this whole thing sure biggest the biggest problem that we face with that public water and that public land is these people, as soon as you attach a dollar amount to it, that whole check in the box on the ballot gets checked a no because they're like, I don't want to pay for this and I don't care about it enough to pay for it. Mm. Whereas we as outdoorsmen, whether it be hunting or fishing or whatever you like to do, have a deeper connection and understanding to that where some people don't, you know what I mean? And so that's another weird kind of rabbit hole we could go down, but I, I would, if you've not listened to that, that, uh, episode of the meat eater, you need to, and anybody's listening to this, go uh, listen to this podcast first, finish this one, obviously, because I'm awesome and Caleb's awesome and you want to listen to this. Um, but then go listen to that because it's one of those, like at the end of it, I felt very unsatisfied because I was like, I don't know where I stand on this. 
Like, yeah. where where do I stand on this issue? Like, do I do I be like the I'm gonna you know be the hunter and you're not going to use my public land unless you want to pay too? Or am I like, no, this is a public resource for everybody, but not everybody's paying. So hold on just a damn second. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. wild. And that again goes back to my whole conversation, my unpopular fishing opinion. I mean, like, bro, that's a, that is a slippery slope to walk on. It is. Cause it is. you're going to piss a lot of people off, but is it worth pissing some people off to make sure that, like you said, we have an unalienable right to the access of what is rightly ours. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I so. think the difference there for me is that when you talk about conservation dollars being parsed out from our, when we buy guns or when we buy fishing gear or whatever it is, right? Yeah. If it was that transparent for someone who wants to jet ski in yeah. Seneca Lake, yeah, I feel like it would you would have less of a problem making that happen than what typically happens, right? In New York, yeah. for example, we have the I-90 toll road. You got to pay your money to do the toll. And, they, you know, 30 years ago when they built it, it was, oh, we're only going to charge you until the, the road is paid for. And then magically, yeah. like, the road's never paid for because why yeah. would it be paid for? Potholes, right? Sure, potholes, plowing, yeah. you name it, right? But the same Quote, thing... Unquote. I feel like people look at it in that same light. Whereas yeah. if it's tied directly to a conservation that thing, effort, yeah. right. And it doesn't even have to be conservation per se, but for every single boater that's putting a boat in the water, even if you're not fishing or if you put a jet ski in the water, maintaining that boat ramp mm-hmm. is important to the boat owner and the jet mm-hmm. ski owner, regardless of what they're doing on the lake. Yeah. Right. And, and again, though, it goes back to ignorance, man. It, you're lo- right. You're a right. lot of people, that's just the biggest thing is we're not educating people on this stuff. No. Like your typical ski boat owner bitching about the fact that the boat ramps broke off has no idea that his wakeboard boat is probably one of the biggest reasons that the that the boat ramps broke <laughs> off. Like, like those boat ramps were never designed, first of all, to have 10,000 pound boats backed onto them. And then they were never designed to just take this constant beating all summer long from these giant wakes coming off these boats. Right. And so and all at the same time, so that guy has no, he has no monetary connection. He has no personal connection outside of just the fact that the boat ramp doesn't work for him. He has no almost spiritual or ethical connection to the resource itself that he's using. And, and so again, I think it just goes back to like you say, and I say education combined with transparency mm-hmm. and that's a big ask it's a it big is a big ask. one <laughs> that's a big one bro like it's probably <laughs> the biggest ask that you can have but i think dude the country changes every year and the country changes every day and i think we're getting to a a point where everything social media media all of it dude like transparency is the new like hip thing right like before we were okay with with i think the still standard of what we call like media and everything and how mm-hmm. it conveys information to us is still the same old same old and be the same old until it shuts down but that is a dying breed compared to everything else that's coming i mean dude we're having a long form conversation about this stuff right now on a podcast that anybody can access yeah. the beauty of that right there man is like I it's love wonderful. it. It's I love wonderful. it. It's scary as hell all at the same time. 
But like, these are good conversations, right? Now there's people talking about UFOs and everything else, but like this is, is good because it's, it's, it's instant access for somebody to be educated about a system. Just again, if somebody just goes, whether you're a Sea-Doo owner or a bass boat owner or a kayak owner, if you just take one minute and you go, man, you know, he's right. Like I'd be okay with paying a $5 stamp every year just to make sure that we got a nice bathroom and a concrete boat ramp and my shit's not going to get broken into. Like that's pretty, that's, that's a good idea. That's all yeah. I need, man. Cause yeah. you just got to get that ball rolling in people's mind. We got to educate, we got to talk to them and then we got to have that transparency, which again, it's a big ask. Well, let me shift gears on you, right? As a teacher, how much of this is us being able to properly, critically think about things? Because that's the big critique today, I feel like. When you talk about media and you talk about, you know, yes, we're having a long-form conversation that is amazing, but there's also probably some crackpot somewhere talking about who God knows what yeah. that can infect your brain <laughs> if you don't know how to critically think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that plays a factor in this conversation as well with conservation. Mm-hmm. So where on the spectrum or, or where is it that we need to, uh, I know I'm kind of changing gears fast on you, but as a teacher, it, no. I yeah. feel like this is right up your alley, right? Critical mm-hmm. thinking is extremely important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Where exactly do we fit that in? You know, you know, buddy, that's a good one, right? That's a good question. And I'll, I'll answer that question by saying this, that as an educator, the education that I'm giving kids is is a quality education. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that we're teaching kids now that I can't back up with true blue science and data that really shows that if this is how kids learn and this is how we teach, that we're not going to make a, a more intelligent, critically thinking generation. Mm-hmm. The biggest problem is, is a child is a exact projection of their parent. It all, yeah. That's a scary all, notion, man. <laughs> it all goes, it all goes back into the home. Yeah. Man, I can, I can love kids. I love my kids. I mean, every year when I get a new class of kids, by the end of the year, man, I'd take a bullet for every single one of them. Like, God help the person that ever tries to walk in that school and hurts one of them because they got to come through me. And when they come through me, they're going to face hell and every damn demon in it. Sure. But like, it doesn't matter how much I love them, how much I do for them. Mr. Rudd is only Mr. Rudd and mom and dad are the, are the pinnacle of what changes everything. Yeah. And so I can only get them to critically think as mo- as much as mom and dad makes them critically think. And if you're sticking them on a screen, if they come from abusive homes, I teach the, where I teach is a very low income, high poverty area. And so I deal with a lot of kids who come from abusive, drug ridden, just bad situations. And man, like when those kids come to school, their last thought is, man, I want to think about, you know, plants and bugs and Egypt and all this. I'm just wanting something to eat and somewhere to, I just feel safe that I'm not getting screamed at. Right. You know, and so I think we're, again, just, I mean, like, not to be a Debbie Downer, but it's just the truth. Like, we got to change the the home. We got to change the way that we as Americans look at the family unit and the family structure and what it means to be a family. I, yeah. I was lucky, dude. I'm, you may be too. I have no idea about your upbringing, but like, I lucked out, bro. I had a good mom. A great mom, great dad, supported 
all throughout my life, every dream that I had, you know, had a college fund, was able to go to college, had a, you know, been able to get a good job, married the woman of my dreams, have a good home. Do we hit the freaking jackpot? I did at least. And I'm thankful for that every day. Exception to the rule right here, man. You know, I I heard something extremely saddening the other day. Is it like 70% of Americans are one blown tire or one major like house problem away from bankruptcy? Yeah. And dude, that all goes back to, it's not a failure of the education system. Mm-hmm. Even though we could probably do more, I will say we could do more. We could teach a little less algebra and a little more personal finance and a little less calculus <laughs> and a little more like, you know, bank management and money management and stock management. Sure. But all at the same time, like that's not what the education system set up for. The education system set up for educating you and making you an intelligent, critically thinking person to mm-hmm. go on to college or a technical job and be able to be a productive member of society. Right. It's mom, dad, and the family unit's job to teach you about personal finance and, you know, how to take care of yourself and how to interact with other human beings. I mean, I, I didn't just, learn, I didn't learn to have a conversation with people by being stuck somewhere in a closet and not talking to anybody. I learned because my mom and dad brought me up where, we had conversations, respectful conversations. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. You know, being able to cordially disagree and agree on things. Like that's one thing in my classroom I do a lot of is I agree with you and here's why. Or I disagree with you and let me tell you why. It's not, no, you're not, you're wrong. No, 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 no. Right, right. Time out. We don't do that. No, it's I disagree with you and this, let, let me tell you why. Dude, eight-year-olds can do that. I teach first grade, six and seven and eight year olds. I can get them to do that. If mm-hmm. I can get six, seven and eight year olds to do that, then grown ass adults can do that too. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so that's, that's my answer to that. Like that's a deep, heavy answer, but it's the truth. For me, it comes down to those conversations, you know, right now, yeah. you know, until we started here about an hour ago, I didn't know you from a hole in the ground. But I can get on and have a thoughtful conversation with you. And potentially, if there are something we disagree about, I don't feel like if I disagree with you on something, you're just going to berate me for 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. There's a comfort level in being able to converse with people. And I think that when you have those conversations as well with people who have kids, being able to show right that critical thinking and being able to have that conversation without being offended or Mm -hmm. offensive... It feels like almost a lost art. Like we get we get into these tribes, whatever the tribe might be, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can even do it with fishing, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm a bass fisherman, screw trout fisherman. Those guys yeah. are weirdos. Yeah. You know they are weirdos though, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, we we you know, we pull into these camps and, and we mm-hmm. never really get the opportunity to make that connection. And and that's one of the things that I challenge myself to do on this podcast is to meet people who otherwise I would never talk to you. Mm-hmm. Right. I might never go fishing ever again, but the value I've gotten out of this conversation, the perspective that I'm getting is almost like me being able to briefly live somebody else's life. Yeah. And it informs what I do going forward. Right. Yep. Whether it's just conversation or learning about fishing or, you know, I didn't know anything about tournament freaking kayak fishing until I started watching your videos. I, I don't know a damn thing about that. Yeah, but yeah. it's it informs that opinion and it allows people to have those conversations. And those conversations might mean nothing at the end of the day, but to be able to exercise that uh, muscle, if you will, yeah. mm-hmm. is so important. Just to be able to talk, 
and to chill and to converse and and exchange ideas in a way that's non-threatening. It's so lost, man. Like we live in a, uh, such a world where everybody hides behind a screen Yeah. every interaction. That's one thing about kids that I will say scares me to death is they are going to be so socially stunted and inept because of a screen and screen time that I don't know what, I don't know what the next generation looks like as far as that aspect of it. Like they have this beautiful thing of like, they're totally unbiased. They don't understand anything like Mm -hmm. as far as like skin color and race and every other freaking thing that you can come up with, whatever, you know, whatever pisses everybody off nowadays, Mm -hmm. dude, seven and eight year olds, they don't see it at all. They just see another little human being that wants to be their friend. But all at the same time, man, it's like they don't know how to interact with that other little human being because all they do is stare at a screen all day long. That's scary. But I think that's everybody, man. Like that's, that's, I think the lost art of conversation was lost in Facebook. It was lost in Instagram. It was lost in all that, right? Like there's so many people who I've never, ever met in my life that know exactly who I am. And like they message me and I don't, I can't have a personal connection with them because all I see is a a profile picture and a name that probably isn't really even their name. Right. Right. <laughs> and it's weird. It's cool. I mean, I appreciate it because it is cool that the fact that I get to interact with all these people all at the same time, it's like weird because like, I don't know you. Like, I don't know. Like, I know, like we've talked now, you know what I mean? Like, I sure. still don't know you. I know you'd be a mass murderer. I don't know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but like, but like we've had a conversation, like I've seen your face and we'd be able to have this conversation. People don't do this anymore, man. I mean, like in, in, we get stuck in these camps and these ideas because like this system that we live in every single day, Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is, is set up to feed you what, what will get you to continue to look at that platform. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if that's black versus white guns versus no guns, hate versus love, whatever it is, it's going to force feed it into your face every single day until you're so just blown out with everything and so convinced of everything, whether it be left, right, center, all in between, mm-hmm. that you turn into this just like hate-filled ball. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's yeah. the world we live in for a lot of people. Like, there's a lot of people however they think whatever they think whatever direction they look or whatever man is like it's so extreme because all they know is what's on their phone and what facebook tells them to think and then that's projected onto their kids and again the family systems broke down right right you know what i mean like i hear things at school kids are hilarious because they are a projection (laughs) of their parents um I walk in keep saying that and i think of my two little girls i got a four and a six-year-old and i scary isn't it Dude, when one of them hollers like I do, I go, where did that come from? What is... Yeah, yeah. they're just modeling, man. (laughs) I always tell people, I say, you want, if you, if I want my kids to do something, I just model for them what I want them to do. And it could be as simple as how we stand in the hallway and Mm -hmm. like, they're going to do whatever I do because I am, I'm, I'm the king of the castle. You know what I mean? When we're in my classroom, I'm king of the castle and everybody follows the king. You know what I mean? (laughs) But, uh, 
uh, it was so funny one day just talking about projection of parents and, and just funny crap. I walk into my room, a couple eight-year-olds are sitting there, and this is exactly what I hear. Did you hear Linda's daddy died? And I was like, I was, and I just sat there and listened. She go, and the other kid goes, I can't believe, you know, he was such a sweet old man. And I'm sitting there thinking, what are y'all, what are y'all, 55? What are we drinking <laughs> sweet tea and talking about Linda's daddy dying? Like, what is this? You know, and it's just them talking. You know what I right. mean? But right. all at the same time, they're over here going, shoo, and like, you know, right. whatever else the hell they do. And it's like, all I'm thinking is I'm thinking, man, it's the Facebook generation just projecting Facebook out into the world. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's crazy, bro. It's just Again, that's another rabbit hole that we could go way, way down deep into. But like, it's just, it's a wild world we live in and it keeps getting wilder every single day. Well, what's interesting is you, you're talking about how, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you name it, any of these things, right? Slowly but surely people build this world that they now live in that's mm-hmm. exclusive to them. And yep. shattering echo that chamber. world. Yeah, yeah, it's an echo chamber, absolutely. Yep. But shattering that echo chamber for a lot of people, and this is more of my fears, that when you tie your entire identity mm-hmm. to this echo chamber or this world that you've created for Or an yourself, idea, period. Sure. Yeah. And that idea cracks, it fails, or something occurs in which now you have no identity, you feel like you have no purpose, that is a dangerous person mm-hmm. because... They have nothing now to live for. They don't mm-hmm. have a purpose. Mm-hmm. And the thing about, it, you were talking about being able to do podcasts and people listening. I feel like there's some sort of correlation, although I don't know what it is, between this growth of this social media thing, but also the growth of these long form conversations. I mean, mm-hmm. podcasts, you you do one, you've been on a ton of them. It's mm-hmm. exploded. Mm-hmm. Why is it that you've got these weird select people? I say select, but there's a lot of people doing it. Mm-hmm. that are able to have these conversations and what is it that people listening to why is it that they potentially either just listen to them and don't engage on their own or are completely fascinated by long form conversations is it because it's legitimately becoming a lost art and you have to go find one now because you can't have one yourself i believe so really believe- you think so I'll tell you this much, man. There's a lot of people who watch me on YouTube that just want to be my friend. And because the way that I structure my videos and the way that I conversate and the way that I interact with other human beings, they feel like they're my buddy because they ain't got no buddies. And so as sad as that sounds, it's just the truth. And so having a long form conversation and being able to listen to somebody makes them feel like they got a buddy. And I mean, for me, Dude, podcasts are a way that I inform myself. Mm-hmm. Like Rogan, I'm a huge fan of Rogan. I listen to a freaking podcast with Bernie Sanders and Rogan. Let me tell you something. I don't know. I don't care where you lean or anything about it, but sure. I'll just tell you this much. Sure. Ain't nothing about Bernie Sanders I agree with. I listened to that entire <laughs> damn podcast, though. And you know what? You want to know what? At no one point was I sitting there going, I disagree. I just listened to what the guy had to say. Because yeah. the best way to understand what I believe in is to know exactly what I don't believe in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, so I believe that there's this segment of people who are just starving to get something that isn't just totally fabricated bullshit. Like one thing that social media has done a beautiful job of is they've exposed a lot of narrative pre-written pre-idealized 
crap in every facet of human humanity, whether it be mm-hmm. fishing or news or, I mean, anything, dude. Like, everything's exposed now, right? I mean, like, you you want to look at something, you at a click of, click of the, the mouse, dude, you can deep dive into any topic that you want to deep dive into and know exactly everything about it. But all at the same time, there's this, this segment of people who are just listening to what they're being fed. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's their fault. I just don't think that they even realize that it's being fed to them. You know what I mean? Like, I think that they are just going about their daily lives, working their nine to five, paying their taxes. They go, you know, they hate their job. They come home, they get on Facebook to escape the world and they sit there and they drink a beer and they scroll through Facebook and it's just being shoved into their face and they don't even realize it's being shoved into their face. And then before they know it, they have a totally ideal change and then their ideals are set and then they buy into this idea. And then next thing you know, six months from now, they're crazy on one spectrum or the other. Yeah. (laughs) Where guys like me and you, like, I, I'm not going to do that. Number one, I don't give a shit enough. I don't have Facebook. I literally got rid of Facebook. It's like the one social media platform I refuse to use. And like, my view on social media is if it doesn't make me money, then I don't got time for it. And right. I, said, I know that sounds really conceited and weird, but it's just the truth. Like, that has to be the mindset that I have for myself or I'll drive myself nuts. Like, I'll, I'll be like, I, I don't read comments much anymore. Like, I, I read comments enough to interact with people. If it's something negative, I just delete it. Yeah. Like, and that's for me. That's how I run. You know what I mean? And like, it seems to be much healthier that way. You know, all the people that I've talked to have a very similar mindset as you do, right? Like, I don't look at it. I put up the what I got to put up Mm -hmm. and I'm on to the next thing, whatever that thing is. Yep. Yeah, dude. Because, I mean, here's the deal if I slow down, I lose. I got to keep going. I got to keep doing my thing, creating what I love and putting it out there. Because my joy doesn't come from the affirmation of people I don't know. My joy comes from the act of doing what I'm doing. Yes. I love yep. catching fish and I love making videos about it. If somebody says I suck, okay. If somebody says I'm great, okay. I appreciate all the all the good. I really do. I appreciate everything everybody says. I love it. I love to hear what people like, you know, hey man, you did a good job. That's great. But all at the same time, dude, your comment is is as equal to somebody that hates me as far as like on the spectrum of like effect on my life. (laughs) You know know what I mean? Like, and so I just put it out there. I love it. I know there'll be somebody else that loves it and I'm just going to keep going. I mean, great example of like weird ass content that you would never think about. I'm scrolling through TikTok last night because I am addicted to TikTok. I do have to say that damn shit. Oh, no. I love TikTok. (laughs) Well, the thing is, dude, I get more joy out of TikTok. I have literally laughed until I've cried at TikTok, okay? (laughs) Um, I'm scrolling through TikTok last night, and there was a guy who had 4.2 million followers, Mm -hmm. and all he did was unclog drains. Big drains, small drains, little drains, house drains, <laughs> outdoor drains. Dude, he did them all. And I'm thinking, dude, if that guy's got 4.2 million followers and all he does is unclog drains, then there is an audience for anything out there. <laughs> like, you want to do dog grooming underwater? I think you could finally find an audience for that. I mean, like, dude, it's the cra- craziest thing. YouTube the other day, I found this guy, and now I've watched, like, several of his videos. Mm-hmm. He cleans cars. Like car detailing. Now, this is like some extreme ass car detailing. Mm-hmm. Dude, that shit's so addicting. 
Like I'm sitting there just like, <laughs> oh, he's getting the scrubber out. He's gonna, you know, he's gonna scrub the scrubber thing. And like, you know, I'm like jacked about car detail. I never knew I'd get jacked about, but dude, that's the world we live in, right? Yeah. It's like everybody's got an audience. And if you're willing to put the content out there and not get invested into battles on the internet with people, then you can do something great. And See, I, yeah. I look at it slightly differently from that, Alex. And yeah. it's what you were just talking about before this is forget about the audience, yeah. forget about the views, forget about all that stuff. Like I probably will never make a dime from this thing, yeah. but what I get out of it personally is yeah. so gratifying. and so important to me. Yeah. That's what keeps me doing it. And it sounds like oh, yeah. it's similar for you as well. Oh yeah. Cool. Dude, it is. You hate me. I'm still going fishing. Yes. I'm still doing me. I'm still meeting people and doing what I love to do. And that part of life, I feel like a lot of people forget. I feel like everyone's trying to turn everything into a hustle. If yeah. you're not making money, then you're yeah. broke. Like, no, I can yeah. live relatively comfortably from my nine to five job yeah. and still pursue my passions for the sake of them being my passions. I don't have yeah. to squeeze a dollar or a dime out of everything. I can just enjoy. Is that is that part of why you started making the content way back when oh yeah man i mean the first three years i did youtube i didn't even know what monetization was i had no idea you could make money none like zero right (laughs) and then someone was like hey bro have you monetized your channel and i'm like okay what now and they're like yeah you can make money off youtube and i'm like say what now like hold on a second (laughs) you can do what um no dude i i started it because i loved it I love filming. I love editing. I love bass fishing. I love fishing. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to film these videos and I would do like rock montages to like fish catches. Like back in the day. You did one with the Foo Fighters. That was awesome. One of your OG videos. Yes. (laughs) Oh no, we've took my posters down. We're going to have to, we're building a, I had two concert Foo Fighters posters from two different Foo Fighters concerts I went to. But anyway, um, (laughs) love me some Foo Fighters. Me and you both. but anyway, so like, I, you know, when I first started, I was doing like these rock montages and you know, these fish catches and like something I wanted to bring up earlier, and this will just be like a little caveat, and then we'll get back on the, sure. on the road here, is when I first started bass fishing YouTube, one thing that I was into when I was a kid and something I did do other than bass fishing that wasn't as serious as bass fishing, it was more just because we had property and we had enough room to do it, was mm-hmm. I was into dirt box, like dirt box and four wheelers. So being in a dirt box and four wheelers, when fishing would go off, it's when like the X games and like all that would come on. Right. And I discovered like motocross freestyle yep. motocross, like back in the day when they were still in the desert, like filming each other on camcorders. I saw bass fishing is the same exact thing. I saw this like opportunity to be like this counterculture guy. And I didn't intentionally do it. Like I didn't intentionally want to be counterculture, but it was like, I don't like really like bass boat tournament fishing. I don't really want to go the traditional route of what I'm doing here, but I really, really love this. And I want people to know that I really love it. And I'm just going to put this out here and and like, see if there's anybody else out there that kind of loves this as much as I love it and loves it the way that I love it. Mm -hmm. And that was like the original intention. So I started putting together these like rock montages, right? Like, you know, fish catches and all that. Yeah. And then I started talking about like tips, like tips and tricks, like way back, you know, like, you know, here's this idea that I had, or here's what I know how to do. Cause I never talk about anything I don't know how to do. Like if I've never done it, like drop shot fishing, it's a technique. I've caught maybe four fish on a drop shot my whole entire life. So I'm not going to talk about drop shot fishing cause I don't know nothing about it. Sure. 
And so like, I was just talking about my experiences and I was talking about bass fishing and I was making bass fishing videos. And then it all kind of switched, not the intention behind it, but just my kind of view of how I wanted to handle everything. When someone reached out to me and was like, Hey, his name's Rick Patrick. He's the owner of monster bass. Me and Rick have known each other for almost 10 years now. Mm-hmm. And back then it was called Lucky Tackle Box. And, and Lucky Tackle Box is and it's a different thing. It's a completely different company. It's a long story, long story short. Essentially, Rick got kicked out. He started another company. I followed Rick to the other company. Anyway, and he reaches out and he goes, hey, I want to send you a box full of lures. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, send me a box full of lures. So I get this box full of lures. I was like, man, I can get free fishing stuff. It's pretty cool. <laughs> and then it kept growing. And it kept getting bigger, and it kept getting bigger, and it kept getting bigger. And then I got invited to go to ICAST, which is this giant international fishing trade show. Big event happens down in Orlando. I watched the video. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> big, big fishing. And for people who don't know, it's this big, yeah, just yeah. giant trade show, right? Yep. And first time I walk in there, man, I'm looking around, and I'm I'm like just looking at everything. and it, And people are talking about like, x dollar amount for this and x dollar amount for that and advertising and this money amount and this money amount and i'm sitting there going what the hell like whoa hold on a second but that first year we went there dude guys like me got laughed at like we were a joke a total joke really total joke like this is what pissed the guggen squad guys off enough to start their own company and screw essentially flip the whole fishing industry on its head and so it continues to grow, continues to grow. Well, then a dollar amount got attached to what I was doing. Mm. And I was like, okay. So I'm broke kid, just quit my job, you know, trying to go back to college. I worked for six years out of high school and then went back to college. Mom and dad said, we'll pay for college, but you got to figure everything else out. You know what I mean? Like everything. You can live here, but you got to do gas and insurance. all that crap. Right, right. So I start looking at this, I'm thinking, okay, if I can make me a couple hundred dollars doing this and I can make me a couple hundred dollars mowing grass and I'll have enough money to knock ass around and go fishing. And then it continued to grow and the dollar amounts continued to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it all changed about two and a half years ago. And that's when fishing and content creation collided in this ginormous train wreck of like, we're here to stay. We've totally changed the fishing industry. And yes, you will bend to our will or we will break you kind of thing. And it was like when I had to, as much as I, I still love it. I don't want it. This, this, this whole story to come out the other end of people thinking that I, hate fishing because if there's one thing that is true you take it all away from me all of it the sponsors the money the boat the everything you give me one berkeley lightning rod with a cheap ass reel and a and a pack full of worms you know where i'm going to be saturday morning i'm going to be on the lake and i'm going to be fishing i love it i love bass fishing but it was at there was a moment and a turning point that i was like this is an opportunity for me to run a small business to make Alex Red Fishing not only a culture, but a brand. Mm -hmm. And that was the moment that I was like, 
this could change my life forever. This is what I could do for a living if I do it the right way. And I'm getting closer every single day to where I can finally walk into my nine to five job and I can go, Hey guys, I loved it. I appreciate you, but I'm going fishing. I'm getting paid for it. Right. You know what I mean? And so now looking back on it all, yes, I still love bass fishing. Yes. I still love everything that I do. I love these conversations that I'm having with you. I have a passion for this that is so white, hot and burning. You couldn't even imagine it, but I'm going to get paid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because, because dude, I don't care what anybody says, man. If you can attach an a dollar amount to your passion, do it. Because like, it's, it's, it's awesome, bro. It is one of the most gratifying things in the whole entire world. When you can look and you can go, I got paid to go fishing today. Like, it is so exciting. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. and now the fishing industry is in a state and we're in a place right now where social media content creators are probably the most important thing in bass fishing. The pros, they have their place, but we also have a place right up there with them. We yeah. are just as valuable. We're actually more valuable than the pros are because you said it's a numbers game, my man. And let me tell you something. I can give you hard analytical data as to why I am way more valuable than some guy that's got a wrap on his boat in his truck. Yep. And it's like, it's, it's just, it's almost ignited another passion in me that I love the business side of it. Almost. No, I wouldn't say almost as much. I love the business side of it in a completely different way than I love the fishing side of it. And it's like, it's two things that again, kind of melding the fishing and the filming and all together. Right. I've been able to meld the fishing and the business together. And it's like this thing that I love having business conversations about fishing. And I also love having conversations just about fishing, fishing. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, it's like another passion of mine. It's another passion. I didn't even know I had man, like business ownership and owning my own small business and building a brand and building a culture around a brand. I didn't know it was something that I enjoyed until I started doing it. And now it's like, Fought for the right to party, man. Like I'm, I'm down to, I'm down right. to boogie. I'm like here. I love, yeah, not going nowhere. Yeah, I'm here. Is- I'm not going to go nowhere. And it's like the first time, first time you make a house payment with a fishing check, you're like, <laughs> okay, we gonna keep on doing this. And my wife is like, so uh, what do we, what do I need to help you do this month? You know what I mean? Like, so, <laughs> right, yeah, right. Well, that's awesome. I mean, and you also see that in the video that you posted not too long ago of you leaving. Uh, Ludes, rods and reels and going to abu garcia right you see that whole uh i mean first of all you did it very gracefully right obviously you didn't burn any bridges you didn't go crazy you know you didn't go that route but you can obviously tell too that for you that was a strategic decision that Mm -hmm. was a decision that was based in someone being a small business and understanding their brand i mean what what goes into that for you what kind of conversations occur is that more just a you know, strategic move for you, or is it a mix of that? And you actually like this product over that product or what, what all those factors, what goes into your brain making those decisions? Man. Yeah. That's a, so that one specifically, we'll dive into that one specifically. That was, I knew that what I had wasn't going to last forever. And I saw the writing on the wall as far as some decision-making out of my control, as far as like corporate big business decisions being made that I knew would eventually lead to something I didn't agree with. Mm -hmm. 
And I had a personal connection with the people at Pure Fishing. And that personal connection was one of those that I wanted to pursue and knew that if I made that move, that it was going to be something that I could agree with. It could be a long-term decision financially, personally, everything that was going to be good for everything that I had going on and help build my brand. And so that was how that worked. I mean, mm-hmm. that was just, you know, I, I had used, I used Abu Garcia back in the day, man. I mean, like some of my first rods and reels, Abu Garcia, you know, I used the old vengeance rods forever. Like when I was a kid, that's what I could afford. $69 rods and reels. You know, that's what we would go buy. Yep. So I'd had experience with the brand and I knew the brand, the brand is a fantastic brand, just like Lose is a fantastic brand. You know, I mean, everything's good nowadays. You know what I mean? Like everybody can say what they want to, but essentially, I mean, these companies aren't putting crap out. Like they're just not like, right. They have to be good. And yeah. so that was kind of how that one worked. It was just, I saw some things coming that I knew that I didn't exactly want to be a part of. And everything's come to fruition. No, you know, I can't talk about it here. Of course some, not. I mean, it's a lot of, and it's, I, I can be as transparent as transparent can be without burning bridges. You know of what course. I'm saying? Of course, of course. Yeah. And so like, like some things have come to fruition now that I, I was like, okay, Alex, that was it. You made the good decision. You made the right decision. You made the decision where you have a personal connection and you can have candid conversations with people about things and you're getting what you need. They get what they need and we're all happy. And How gratifying is that to make that decision, strategic, long-term decision, it go the way that you anticipated it going? How much, like, at the end of the day, you're like, whew, all right, I'm feeling good. Like, I made a good choice. Yeah. I understand what I'm trying to do. And how much does that influence your next steps in that decision-making process? Because I'm sure this isn't the only decision on your plate today. No, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, Bethany, my wife will tell you, it's, it's every day, man. I'm, I'm 110 miles an hour. Like, it's always conversation, conversation, conversation. You know what I mean? Whether it's this mm-hmm. big or big, giant, you know what I mean? There's always yeah. something going on. You, you can never quit moving. But um, it was funny. That's that's really funny you bring that up. I was standing on the front of the boat in Michigan on an inland lake with my buddy Ben. Mm-hmm. And in my hand, I was holding an unreleased jerk bait that had just won the Bassmaster Classic. I was one of only about seven people in the world that actually had one. Was that in that box? Yeah, the stun of video. It, it, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yep. And I looked at Ben, I looked back down at the bait, and I looked out at the lake, and it was like a freaking weight was taken off my shoulders. Because it was at that moment, with a culmination of other things that had kind of happened that led to the point of deciding to go pure fishing in Abu, that I was like, all right, like this is it. Like this was right. And at that moment, I, I texted texted my buddy, that, that mm-hmm. works there. And I said, Hey, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you. And that I truly believe, and I feel like I've made the right decision. And it was like, okay, we're good now. Like we're good to go. Like I'm ready. You know what I mean? Right. And it, yeah. it, because you worry, like I really do. I worry. I, I, I worry because I have such a per, I, I, I'm a big relationship guy. Like, I don't just work with companies just because they pay me a certain amount of money. Mm -hmm. The money is a byproduct of what I do. Like I put in a lot of hard work. Money's the byproduct of my hard work. 
that personal relationship that I have with those people there is has no value amount. And being able to call or text somebody when I need them for something, whether it be personal business or whatever it is, is invaluable to me. Mm-hmm. And so when I left Lose, man, I left a lot of really deep personal connections with people that I can still text, I can still call, I can still have a conversation with them, but like, it's not like, you. it scares you in the fact that are you going to be able to have that in the next venture? And I would have never gone into the next venture if I didn't know that that kind of, it would just be like walking into the into the next set of doors and never skip a beat. You know what I mean? And that's what happened when I went to Abu, is I just went right in, never skipped a beat, and we're just going to keep on moving. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so... Yeah, it's extremely gratifying, man. Like it's it's a it's a humbling experience to say the least. To it's more than anything humbling. I don't even know if it's gratifying, really. Like, yeah, you have some sense of gratification, but any, more, it's just a humbling thing to go, man. I am I'm blessed that I'm articulate enough and intelligent enough and have a wherewithal without me, and I've been, you know, led in a way and surrounded myself with the right people to be able to make these decisions. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of people out there that that just don't even know how to do that, right. and because of those personal connections that I've built and conversations that I've had with people who are a lot better at business than me, am, am I even able to make the business decisions to even have the gratification in the first place? So yeah, that's exciting. That's something <laughs> that is. I mean, for you, it's it's a culmination of years, literally years of work and. Yeah. The fact that you still have your head on your shoulders, that you have a specific vision mm-hmm. for your brand mm-hmm. that for you is immovable, right? Mm-hmm. This is what I, this is, I, I know who I am. Mm-hmm. I know what I want and I'm going to do the decisions. I'm going to make those choices that get me to that end goal and not any other end goal is something that I feel like is unique, especially yeah. in this middle space of, um, teetering on, like you said, right? Being able to to consistently pay your mortgage with fish money as opposed yeah. to nine to five money, right? Yep, yep. It's yep. something it, that's extremely important and lost a lot of, uh, on a lot of people. But it sounds like for for you and from your perspective, you you still have a very clear sense of what you want your brand to be and where you want to go with it. And I'm excited yeah. to see what comes of this over the next couple of years because. I mean, for me, again, I go back to the very beginning. The way that you break down fishing in layman's terms and teach people and make it so accessible is what draws at least somebody like me to your channel. I want to watch more of that. I want to be more a part of that because I feel like I can now. Yeah. Right. That accessibility is something that you fucking hit the nail on the head. Pardon my French. (laughs) You're good, bro. (laughs) Yeah, man. I I appreciate that. I really do. And and that's all I hope that people see is that Alex Rudd is Alex Rudd and you can't fake him. And I could have made decisions a long time ago that would have probably put me in a position where I'd have 300 or 400,000 subscribers. And the thing is, is I would have probably hated every minute of it. Sure. And I would rather have my 43,000 and enjoy every second of it and do what I know is me and never waver from what I believe is the right way to do it and know at the end of the day that I was on the right side of things when it went down. And that's where I stand right now. And I'm not taking anything away from any other creator, but I can promise you there's a lot of guys out, right, out there right now that hate what they do, but they have to do it to continue to make sure the bills get paid and everybody's satisfied. 
mm-hmm. where when Alex Rudd does it, I'm not going to owe anybody anything except for myself. Right. The only person I can fail is me. You know what I mean? Like, and I mean, obviously, you know, if, if I fail, then <laughs> my house fails and my, my, my family <laughs> fails. But but you get but you get what I'm saying. At the end yes. of the day, there's nobody yes. holding a, a, a carrot over my head going, run, mule, run. It's me yeah. holding the carrot in front of my own face going, man, today I get to get up and I get to go to work. Yeah, You know what yeah. I mean? Like, that's the attitude I want to have about it. And that's all I want everybody to see from this is like, I just want them to, hopefully I'm putting out into the world and hopefully, and I'm glad you see it. It's it's gratifying to hear people say, say that they see that, that I'm me and there's just no denying that. And I'm doing what I know I love and what I know I need to be doing to be what I want to be and have my vision fulfilled. Cause it's not about what everybody else thinks. It's about what I can do and, and what I know I can do. Well, it's genuine. It's great. I hope nothing but success for you going forward. I appreciate all the time you've given me tonight. Absolutely, uh, I can't wait, like I said, to see what, what else you do and what else you come up with over the next couple of years. So thank you again so much, Alex, for coming on, brother. Absolutely, man. It's good, good, to, good to be on.